Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. So a few weeks back, I did an interment for a very well-loved man at Queen's Park Cemetery, and the family asked me if following the service, I would stay with them privately at the gravesite, and along with his ashes, if we could place a few items into this space with those ashes. And as we gathered around the place where his remains were being laid, I asked them each to say just a couple of words about what it was that they were placing with him. And they put in a ratty old baseball hat. This gentleman loved baseball and it was his favorite family activity to do. They put in a ratty old chew toy to represent the relationship he had with his beloved dog. And they put in a broken flip-flop, a flip-flop that much to their dismay he refused to ever get rid of. So we blessed each of these items and we blessed the memories that they held for these family members and we prayed for him to know that the eternal love of these people, of these memories was traveling with him. And so I wonder for you, this is not a rhetorical question, this is one of those turn to your neighbor moments, I wonder for you, at the end of your earthly days, what would you take with you if you could? Go ahead. No, it was a hard one for two minutes. There are lots of stories to be shared. I've heard some fantastic and unexpected responses. Greg said he would bring his guitar with him if he could. Things like books, things like a canoe, things like music. Most of the things I imagine, while they have some monetary value, the things that we're thinking about bringing with us are not the things per se, but the meaning that they hold behind them. They are not the things, but they are the symbols of the things that mattered. Things like adventure, and joy, and love, and family, and accomplishments, things like our favorite hobbies, things that light us up. The parable that we heard Suzanne read today is lovingly referred to as the parable of the rich fool. And before you think that this is a community in which we point fingers from up here, I want you all to know that once upon a time, I took a What Financial Archetype Are You quiz in Cosmopolitan magazine, and it told me that I was a financial fool. So the fingers, mm -hmm, yes, okay. So I just want it, that's my disclaimer. We're in this together, and amen for that. Let's pray. Generous God, meet us in these words this day, that they might shape our tomorrow. Let us sense your grace here. Let us sense your compassion here. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
So I have a habit of collecting what I lovingly refer to as street poetry when I'm out on my walks with my dog, Eugene. And to anyone that's passing by, this would essentially look like I was just picking up scraps of garbage. But really what I do is any piece of paper I see that has real human handwriting on it, I pick up. And sometimes these are things like medical prescriptions. Sometimes these are things like grocery lists. Those can be fascinating. But sometimes the things that I pick up are more personal. They are confessions. They're pages torn out of diaries. They're notes to a loved one. And this week, I stumbled across this crumpled yellow note on my walk. And I'm not going to ask you to read it all. You can see I've bleeped out some of the swear words. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to read it, but essentially, this is, I don't know if it's a draft. I don't know if it's the letter itself, but this is a letter from a son asking if his mother would let him come home. It is a series of apologize, ap apologies from this gentleman, and I know it's a gentleman, well, I don't know it's a gentleman, but they signed their name and said, love your son. Um, it is a series of apologies for not recognizing what he had when he had it. I don't know if the letter ever found its home, but it's what I picked up. And I live close to the drop-in center downtown, and so these stories are not that unusual to come across in my neighborhood. They are absolutely heartbreaking stories of what we are left without when our lives get away from us. And rarely, rarely do these stories ever center around money, although that's what people assume that the unhoused population needs. These stories center around the loss of things like community, the loss of family, the loss of support, of comfort, of security, and the sense that they have lost love. These are not riches, as the man in our parable talks about, but the riches of a life that is worth living. What's interesting about our passage today is that Jesus tells this parable not only to the wealthy man who posed the question to him, can I get more of my inheritance, please? He poses this parable to a crowd of people, many of whom likely had very little, which means whether you are a financial fool or a frugal one, there is a word for you here today. What does it mean to serve and to love with abandon? What does an embarrassment of riches look like in the kingdom of God here and now? How can we honor God with the resources we have? How can we feel blessed when those resources might be lacking? What does a resource of faith even look like? So this is the parable of the rich fool, and I I am suggesting that it asks us this question. How big is your barn? How big is your barn? The parable begins, the land of a rich man produced abundantly. 
And he thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Funny what happens when you emphasize different words, isn't it? Notice immediately where the blessings are coming from. The parable does not say the man toiled day and night, planting and tending to the ground, and hence the land produced abundantly. It says the land of the man produced abundantly. The man, for all the scripture says, there's always more to the story, but for all the scripture says, did nothing. I'll tell you what he does do, though. He immediately turns the abundance into a problem. We do this with our blessings, don't we? Either the anxiety comes forth in us, it's too good to be true, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop, I didn't deserve this, this must not have been meant for me, or, or we get greedy. How do I secure this moment of unexpected happiness in receiving? How can I make sure that there's room for even more? How can I protect what's mine? Yeah, this is good, but more, more would be better. Some of us are ignoring our blessings entirely. And some of us, two-way finger point, some of us have been stockpiling what's not rightfully ours. Dorothea Zola, who we heard Keith quote earlier in our service, is an activist and a mystic and a liberation theologian, and she writes that possession occupies those who possess and contradicts the ideal of having life. The desire to possess is marked by an unceasing growing, a voracious element that manifests itself in the simple desire to have more. So let us heed this warning. If we do not want to become spiritually destitute, we need to start singing praises instead of seeing problems. It is so much easier to say thank you than it is to say please. When you start, to give credit to the Creator for the abundance you are blessed with. You start seeing even more of it. And you will realize that the gifts of God are not so fragile. You cannot outrun them. You cannot outspend them. You cannot undeserve them. When it's about us, that's when we worry. My barn, my crops, my land. But when it's about God, that's when we rejoice. The parable continues with this man's solution. I know. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all of my grain and my goods, and I can relax for many years and be merry. So again, I ask, how big is your barn? I know that some of you feel itchy in your seats right now. Me too. I didn't choose this passage. It came to me. I hate it when that happens. If you don't feel itchy, remember Jesus was preaching to the have-nots as well. This is not a prosperity gospel passage. We don't do that here. Good Christian folk, right? But time and time again, history tells us 
that we have shown gratitude for the abundance of God's blessing by asking for more. Good Christians charged people to get into heaven and then built cathedrals out of gold. Good Christians thought that more land would make them greater and took land that wasn't theirs to sow more seeds on. Good Christians thought taking children away from their families would mean more hallelujahs. Reality check, it didn't. The Pope flew to Edmonton this week on what he called a penitential pilgrimage to confess that we got it wrong. That maybe building a larger barn wasn't how to share the love of God after all. He said in his apology, our Christian faith tells us that this was a disastrous error, incompatible, incompatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And whether you accept the apology as genuine or not, he goes on to say something that really struck me in the light of this passage today. So we're going to watch that, and the Pope speaks first, and then there's a translation. So Cameron, if you can hit play on that. Hacer memoria, hermanos y hermanas. Ustedes han vivido en esta tierra durante miles de años con estilos de vida que respetaban la misma tierra heredada de las generaciones pasadas y protegida para las futuras. La trataron como un don del Creador para compartir con los demás y amar con armonía con todo lo que existe. En una viva interconexión entre todos los seres vivos Así aprendieron a nutrir un sentido de familia y de comunidad y desarrollaron vínculos fuertes y entre las generaciones, honrando a los ancianos y cuidando de los pequeños. Cuántas buenas tradiciones y enseñanzas basadas en la atención a los otros y al amor por la verdad, en la valentía y el respeto, en la humildad, en la honestidad, en la sabiduría de vida. To remember, brothers and sisters, you have lived on these lands for thousands of years, following ways of life that respect the earth, which you received as a legacy from past generations and are keeping for those yet to come. You have treated it as a sign of the Creator to be shared with others, and to be cherished in harmony with all that exists, in profound fellowship with all living beings. In this way, you learn to foster a sense of family and community, and to build solid bonds between generations, honoring your elders and caring for your little ones. A treasury of sound customs and teachings centered on concern for others, truthfulness, courage and respect, humility, honesty, and practical wisdom. Notice what he said about how our indigenous siblings treated the land. You have treated it as a gift of the creator to be shared with others. We do not need a bigger barn if we are willing to let the overflow of our abundance serve God's vision for the world, if we allow it to serve our neighbors. 
So first, it is worth noting that the concept of building ancient warehouses to stockpile goods is absolutely biblical. It's what Joseph, the one with the fancy coat, told Pharaoh to do in the face of Egypt's famine. Saving for future needs is biblical. That is appropriate stewardship of God's gifts, as is enjoying them, eating and drinking and being merry. This is okay stuff to do. That is not what makes the man in the parable greedy, as it were. We smell greed in this passage because that is where the stewardship stops. When we receive abundance that is uncomfortable to hold, perhaps it is a sign that God has given us enough to share. And this kind of sharing, again, this is not about pointing fingers. This kind of sharing is happening all around us. Some of you have opened up your literal barns, your homes, to people from other countries, to refugees, to the stranger. You have fed other people's children. Medical doctors here in Canada are offering reproductive options to women down in the States because they can. People are marching with the LGBTQ2S plus community. People are marching with the BIPOC community and standing in front of those because they can. Standing in harm's way on behalf of because they can. We are all doing this work. This is what it means to live a rich life. To have so much that you can give. Our parable concludes with God saying to the man, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be, huh? You can't take it with you when you go. And Jesus turns to the crowd and says, so it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich towards God. Richness in God is not possessing some holiness or piety. It is living the life God imagined for you, one of love and shared sorrow, of support and connection, of adventure, the kind that comes from enjoying what God has surrounded us with. That's where the canoe comes into play. It is a life not of having, but a life of holding. There's a 17th century haiku I have always loved, written by Mizuta Masahide, and it says this, barns burnt down, now I can see the moon. The question in this parable for us is not how will you spend your money? I've spent mine on ridiculous stuff. It's how will you spend your life? Will you live poorly even though you are rich? Or will you live richly even when you feel poor? Friends, we are each rich, abundantly so. So in the name of Christ, may we open ourselves up to show it. Amen. 
Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.